0: Our Old Testament lesson comes from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter twenty-five. Hear now the word of our God from Proverbs twenty-five. These also are proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out, as the heavens for height and the earth for depth. So the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, he refreshes the soul of his master's. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue angry looks. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. It is not good to seek to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week we looked generally at the ninth commandment, and I've I've been going through about one sermon per commandment lately. But I, I came away from last Sunday with the sense that that I had laid a foundation, but there needed to be a little more building done, because as we talked about the importance of of thinking charitably of others and, and seeing the need for speaking truth in love we we also need to see how how that how how do we do that in a day that is so exercised by sort of speaking my truth every generation faces the same basic issues but every generation has to think through these issues specifically it's it's why i love the larger catechism's approach to the ninth commandment there's a sense in which it does say everything that needs to be said. But how do we do it in our day? And here, here again, I, I read this last week, but I'll, I'll read it again for you. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own. Appearing and standing for the truth And from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and in all other things whatsoever. A charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, a ready receiving of a good report and unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers, love and care of our own good name and defending it when need requires, keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. A love for the truth will mean that we have a love and esteem for our neighbors and that we will believe the best re- regarding them and will be slow to believe the worst. Of course our our native tendency is to have a very high efe- sense of our own name and a very low sense of others. We we tend to interpret our own actions charitably and the actions of others perhaps Less so, And that's why the Catechism goes on to say that the sins forbidden in the Ninth Commandment are all prejudicing the truth, prejudging the truth, and the good name of our neighbors, as well as our own, especially in public judicature, giving false evidence, suborning false witnesses, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing and overbearing the truth, passing unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked, forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause, and holding our peace when iniquity calls for either a reproof from ourselves or a complaint to others. So, you know, that's one thing you have to remember is that, is that thinking the best of others and sort of wanting, it doesn't mean that you never say anything when somebody is wrong. Because that's just as much of a problem. But that's where you have to actually know they're wrong before you say it. Because if you don't know they're wrong, you shouldn't be saying it. <laughs> speaking, But that's where the, the, the ninth commandment forbids speaking the truth unseasonably. So, you know, if it's not the right time to say it, it's not the right time to say it. Or maliciously, speaking the truth maliciously. Have uh, you ever seen that one happen? Or perverting it to a wrong meaning. Or in doubtful or equivocal expressions to the prejudice of the truth or justice. Speaking untruth, lying, slandering, backbiting, detracting Tail bearing, whispering, scoffing, reviling, rash, harsh, and partial censoring, misconstructing intentions, words, and actions, flattering, vainglorious boasting, thinking or speaking too highly or too meanly of ourselves or others. So, so that's where if you, it's, it's not that you're supposed, to, you're supposed to think worse of people yourself than, you're, than you should. No, no, no. But don't think too highly of yourself. Think rightly. And the same way of your neighbor. It's not that, oh, my neighbor can do no wrong. It's rather that, no, I will think the best of my neighbor until I'm proven wrong, and then I'll deal with it honestly. As so we're not supposed to deny the gifts and graces of God, aggravating smaller faults, hiding, excusing, or extenuating of sins when called to a free confession, unnecessary discovering of infirmities, raising false rumors, Receiving and countenancing evil reports. (laughs) What is social media (laughs) all about? And stopping our ears against just defense. Give people a chance to defend themselves before you pass judgment. Evil suspicion. Envying or grieving at the deserved credit of any endeavoring or desiring to impair it or rejoicing in their disgrace and infamy, scornful contempt, fond admiration, breach of lawful promises, neglecting such things as are of good report and practicing or not avoiding ourselves or not hindering what we can in others, such things as procure an ill name. So if you see somebody doing something that's going to harm their reputation, you should say that's not a good idea. Now, our Psalm of Response is Psalm 52. Um, we'll be singing it in the White Book today. Uh, it's the, the same tune in both places, but it's, uh, we'll just sing it in the White Book today. But Psalm 52 is very unusual among Psalms. It is not addressed to God. It is not addressed to pe- to the, the church, as it were. It's addressed to the to a wicked man. Psalm 52 is a masculine of David when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Uh, Doeg not only ratted David out, he also went on to slaughter the priests. Now, Doeg is one, and Psalm 52 makes this clear, Doeg is one who used his words to destroy Psalm 52 opens with a lament about the tongue of a mighty man who through his speaking and his acting, Doeg destroys David with his tongue and the priests of God with his sword. And so David sings to him. David sings to Doeg. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Psalm 52 is a song for those who are persecuting the church imagine somebody writing a hymn to a hymn to stalin sort of i'm not sure that this is not something that has been commonly done in church history i'm not sure quite how one would go about writing a hymn to stalin or a hymn to mao zedong I mean, it seems very odd But, at the very least, we should sing Psalm 52 from time to time, and when we sing it, we should sing it to Doeg's latter-day heirs. It is the song of David as he laments the destructive plots of Doeg. It is the song of Jesus as he laments the destructive plots of Judas. And it is the song of the Church as we lament the destructive plots of those who would destroy the people of God. Our New Testament lesson comes from the book of James, chapter 3. James, chapter 3. Hear now the word of our God. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's a way in which it's in peacemaking that we attain righteousness. When we are suspicious of the motives of others when we when we fear what others may do to us, that often reveals the ways in which we are not loving our neighbors. We're not Seeking peace, so so what does it mean to be a wise person who speaks well? And Proverbs has a lot to say about the wise person. Indeed, our Old Testament lesson from Proverbs 25, I, I chose it because this passage has a whole lot to do about the tongue, how we speak, uh, and rather than try to go through all of it, I'll just focus on a few of these verses. In verse 8, we are counseled to be careful about what we say in court. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? You might think, uh, the, 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 the image here is, you're going into court, you're going to bear witness, and, you, and you, you think you know the story. And so you're, you know, ah, I will come to the quick defense of the truth. And then you get there and you give your give your your evidence, and then the next witness stands up and you realize, oh, shoot, I didn't know that. Proverbs was warning us three thousand years ago. Uh, you know, when you see a video posted on social media, it probably shows something outrageous, but think twice before jumping on the bandwagon. I, I, I saw an email this week that made me really upset. I was I was thinking about, oh, maybe I should take action on this. And then I thought, hmm, it doesn't say anything about why this action was taken. Maybe I should do my homework first and find out why did these people do what they did. And so I went, dug, dug a little bit more, found out a bit more, and was like, oh, I'm not sure what I should do about this. Maybe it's not my job to do anything about this (laughs) because I don't know enough to say anything to anyone. It's kind of helpful that I was working on this sermon because otherwise I might have taken action in an unfortunate way. (laughs) Beware of using information. to. One of the things we can... Social media is designed... To you know, the, the algorithm is designed to sort of encourage you to put yourself at the center of your own little universe, and how can you get more likes and clicks? How can you get more people p- paying attention to you so that you can be an, an influencer <laughs> whatever that is beware of using information to engage in social climbing because very often the way you achieve success in the social media is at the price of your own integrity or another's well-being. And Proverbs warns us that this will destroy yourself and others. So, so instead, in verse 9, Solomon urges us, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another's secret lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. Go to the person directly. Don't be a gossip. Don't spread secrets. If you have a problem with somebody, go and work it out with them. Deal openly and fairly with your neighbor. Don't use sort of, oh, I have inside information. Don't use that against them. Rather, use your knowledge to love your neighbor and help them. So be careful how you use the information that you know. Make sure you only repeat someone else's sin and misery in an effort to love them better. Now, how do you do that? Proverbs helps us think about this. Verse 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver like a gold ring or an ornament of gold, is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Earlier in Proverbs 9, the father told his son that if you reprove a wise man, he will love you. Do you like to be rebuked? I'm actually getting to a point in life where I've, I've preached on this enough over the years i have had to really work on my own heart and I can, I can testify that it actually works if you if you start telling yourself i need to like this you can actually convince yourself that this, and then you start seeing the fruit of it and then you're like wow when i actually listen to the person who's coming and rebuking me and i love them because they're coming and tell, then good things happen from that and i wind up changing and being a better person and other people around me like me more I mean, actually, that should be obvious. If you're the sort of person who likes to hear rebuke, then, yeah, then people will come to you and say, if you're the person, if you're prickly and, oh, no, don't come near me, well, then, no, they're not going to come to you. And so Proverbs is telling us, this is a good thing. Be the sort of person who loves to hear rebuke and that's why you know, this picture here is a, a word fitly spoken it's like apples of gold in a setting of silver this, this beautiful this beautiful earring i mean a gold ring or ornament of gold is is a wise reprover to a listening ear and that's where if you if you think about what it means it means it means you actually have to love the person that you're going to you, you, you because you've also had somebody who's come to you and they're not coming to you in a very loving way. they're coming to you with a whole list of their ah, I got this and this but and that's where in Proverbs nine we were told that the the wise man will love the one who rebukes him and that's where it can be hard sometimes to love to love a person who's rebuking poorly. but here Solomon is saying in verse 12, that this that the the wise reprover the one who actually now has has learned how to complain well the one who has learned how to bring the concern to the one to the to the to the neighbor rather than sort of spreading it around other places this is a beautiful thing that brings that brings peace and righteousness and if you If you do these things, if if you're not spreading things around, if if you get good at rebuking and accepting rebuke, if you're faithful in in doing what you say you'll do, then you've got a shot at verse 15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded. Tonight we're starting a sermon series on the book of Esther. And Esther illustrates this point beautifully. Think about the opening story. Queen Vashti doesn't try to persuade Ahasuerus. She simply refuses him but esther will use patience a soft tongue if if you're too hot tempered to rebuke well too proud to listen to others then that will not end well but if you're faithful and wise in your words then with patience even a ruler can be persuaded bones don't bend but even the most rigid, inflexible ruler may bend to a soft tongue, to gentle words, whereas harsh words won't accomplish much at all. And in contrast, in verse 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Think about that. A man who bears false witness. There's a, you know, the old saying, Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me? Well, Proverbs says that your words are like war clubs, swords, sharp arrows. And that when you bear false witness, you are engaged in verbally destroying people. Verses 23 to 27 talk about how good things often go awry. Uh, it speaks of rain, of marriage, of a fountain, of honey. All these things are supposed to be good. But the north wind isn't supposed to bring rain. Marriage isn't supposed to bring quarreling. A spring or a fountain isn't supposed to be muddy. Your honey is supposed to be good for you. But these good things can go astray. And it's a reminder that we live in an estate of sin and misery. And I, I think sometimes we we tend to focus on talking about sin all the time, that we forget to bring out the misery. And the problem is that we live in an estate of sin and misery. They're not two different problems. It's not that if you solve the, the sin problem, the misery problem goes away, but also if you just deal with misery, you'll never confront sin. And that's why verse 25 is, is bringing all of this to, a, to its con- conclusion. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. The gospel comes to our thirsty souls like cold water on a hot day. Jesus came to deal with our sin. He offered himself as the atoning sacrifice, the one who died in our place, who cleansed us from our sins. But Jesus also came to deal with our misery. He joined Himself to our humanity in order that He might join us to Himself, in order that we might be joined to the life of God. God did not leave us to perish in our sin and misery. He sent His Son to be our Redeemer, to deal with our sin problem and our misery problem. And so the key for us, as verse 27 points out, is not to seek our own glory, but rather to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, all the things that we need for life and godliness, will be added to you. So so Proverbs 25 reminds us of some of the basics of how we're supposed to speak the truth in love. Now, Psalm 52, as we saw, is the song of David as he laments the destructive plots of Doeg. Here we see an, an example, a case study in reviling words, in words that are used to tear down and destroy the reviler is described well in verse 2. Your tongue pots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Think of that language. Words that devour. We talk about backbiting in English. Uh, The mouth devours. And so words that destroy have the effect of eating the person. David's heart was broken when he hears that Doeg told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Because when Doeg betrays David, that leads to the death of the priests. All of the rest of Doeg's evil stems from what Doeg said. Because Doeg loved evil rather than good. Because he loved deceitful words rather than truth. Now, you might say, wait, if you read the story in Samuel, all Doeg did was tell the truth. King Saul asked where David was, and Doeg answered. (laughs) He just told the truth. But telling the truth unseasonably in this case, the rest of, of Saul's servants kept their mouths shut. Because they understood that Saul intended to harm David. And when if you know that someone wants to use the truth to destroy someone, that's the time to be silent. Sure, at the end of the story in Samuel, Doeg actually uses his sword to kill the priests. But the song focuses on Doeg's tongue. Because Doeg's tongue was far sharper than his sword. Doeg, on his own authority, could never have killed a priest. But because of his words, he slaughtered and destroyed with impunity. And that's what the reviler does. The reviler is one who uses words to destroy. Uh, there's Nowadays we, we use terms like verbal abuse or gaslighting or narcissism. But there's something useful about the old language. Yeah, the, the reviler is is one who uses words to tear down and destroy. And now, why is this so important? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The reviler will not see the kingdom of God. The one who uses words to tear down and destroy is placed on the same level with idolaters, adulterers, thieves, the greedy, swindlers. This is... We tend to focus on the sexual sins in our culture. Paul puts verbal sins and sexual sins right side by side and says, if you use words to tear down and destroy, then you will not see the kingdom of God. Now, this is a challenge for us because in America we've gotten so used to our freedom of speech. And we need to remember that that the U.S. Constitution protects reviling the judgment seat of Christ does not so I mean, we, we, that's because the US Constitution protects revilers because and part of it is because uh, the US Constitution recognizes that we're not God and so therefore we shouldn't be trying to make all the decisions uh, that God does. <laughs> So I'm, I'm actually, in a certain respect, grateful that the U.S. Constitution protects revilers, because in protecting speech, it you know, sort of, if you're if you're going to let the government make all the decisions as to what's true, yikes, that's going to be a problem. But we need to remember that just because the U.S. Constitution protects revilers, that does not mean that Jesus protects revilers, and that's. It, that's important, because reviling, using words to tear down and destroy, is soul-destroying. It's, it's, it destroys the soul of the one who does it, as well as the lives of the people who are affected. So, you don't want your government trying to be Jesus. Thanks be to God, we have a constitution that protects revilers. That's a very strange way to say it. On the other hand sometimes this gets us in trouble because how many of us actually know what we're talking about? Do you know Bernie Sanders? Have you ever had a heart-to-heart conversation with Donald Trump? Or are you relying on someone else's opinion? And if so, why do you trust them? Is it because, well, you know, this person's a really close friend of Joe Biden, and so he he understands where Joe Biden's coming from? Or is it, well, you know, I like this person's political views, and so I'm going to trust them. Why? If you repeat someone else's reviling, you are a reviler. Oh, but I didn't know. Then you shouldn't have repeated it. If you share a post on social media, you are endorsing what it says, unless you say at the beginning, "I disagree with this," or "I have no idea if this is true." I mean, although if you're doing that, then why are you sharing it? Is it just because you want to be someone? The big reason why I stopped posting on social media was because I realized I didn't know whether I was posting truth or lies. I was posting because it made me feel important. People liked what I posted. They wanted to hear more. So they trusted me. Oh, and so now they're going to share what I said even though I wasn't sure if it was true or not. This is a this is a recipe for disaster. I was falling prey to the algorithm. <laughs> I was supporting the reviling industry. Do we do we actually believe that truth is important? Do we actually believe that we will answer to Jesus for the words that we have spoken? And those words include the words we share on social media. Now, Paul has great comfort for us because immediately after saying that revilers will not inherit the kingdom of God, he adds, but such were some of you. We were revilers. I was a reviler. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, Paul is not just talking about our ongoing sanctification here. He says you were sanctified. Not just you are being sanctified. He makes it clear. He's referring to a definitive once for all act of God. You were sanctified. You were set apart by God as holy. There's a way in which Paul looks at this messed up church in Corinth that (laughs) needs a whole lot of growth and grace. And he says to them, you're holy. You were sanctified. In your inner man, you are no longer who you once were the old man is dead your old identity is gone maybe you were a reviler maybe you were an adulterer maybe you were a homosexual maybe you were a drunkard but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified the, uh, this language is, is dealing with both both the sin and the misery of our fallen condition our justification has to do with our legal standing before god our problem is that we're unjust. We have sinned. We're guilty. And the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. But we are justified by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to take our sin and guilt upon himself. Our sin was credited to Jesus. And Jesus' righteousness was credited to us. So you are no longer guilty before God. You are declared righteous in Christ. You were washed. You were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So if you, if you realize that you've been guilty of reviling, then repent. Because I mean, the thing is, this is this is where John Owen's great line comes in. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. It's not as though one day I woke up and realized, oh, I, I, and then I've never reviled ever since. No. Because this is where we, when we realize, oh, I'm doing, the, I'm using words to, to tear down and destroy, the sorts of things we struggle with, we're going to struggle for the rest of our lives. We're, we're not going to be perfect until glory. But that doesn't mean that we say, eh, well, you know, too bad, who cares? Jesus never says it's okay. You can sin a little bit. No, he says sin is sin is destructive the wages of sin is death don't do that and so that's why Owen puts it be killing sin or sin will be killing you put to death the deeds of the flesh because the other alternative is to let them run rampant it's like it's the old it's the old illustration of gardening what's the point of weeding they always come back every gardener will tell you but if you don't pull out the weeds the weeds will destroy the crops the weeds will destroy the vegetables. The weeds will win. Right. And that's that's what the Christian life is like. You do a lot of weeding. And there's good fruit that comes from that weeding. As you weed, as you pull up the, the, the weeds of of sexual immorality, of reviling, of drunkenness, of all these things that Paul says, don't do that. As you pull up those weeds and say, no, I need to repent of this. I need to turn away from this. Every time you pull up that a weed, you are allowing that the good plant to grow and bear fruit more and more in your life. Because Paul says, such were some of you. There's a tendency nowadays to assume that once a person is an abuser, he will always be an abuser. The narcissist can never change. The Gospel says that the grace of God can change people's hearts. Paul says, such were some of you. I've seen people who were narcissists who have recognized, Oh yeah, I'm a narcissist. And so they realize this about themselves. And so they start saying, okay, can you tell me when I'm doing it? (laughs) Because they don't see it. They don't know when they're doing it, but they're open to rebuke. And they love the one who rebukes them and says, Oh yeah, I'm doing it. Okay. I, I, Thank you for saying something. You can repent. you can acknowledge that you have used words to harm others, and you can turn away from those patterns and use words to love, you can seek peace. There is no sin so strong that Christ cannot break its power over you, but at the same time, you still have to repent. You can't just say, "Oh, well, it'll maybe someday. it's that you have to keep. Weeding your garden. And next year, start all over again. All of you have experienced the brutality of the tongue. Whether you've been hurt by lies or experienced how, how gossip destroys friendships or felt the, the razor-sharp tongues of colleagues and friends, you've all felt keenly, the pain of when others use words. And so with a charitable frame of spirit, as you think about, oh, right, when I have said things, I didn't mean to harm others. It just happened because I wasn't thinking. I would encourage you to assume that same thing when others have done that to you when others have spoken in ways that hurt you assume charitably even though you might think they had to mean that they had to do that on purpose but assume that they meant they didn't mean to do it they just weren't thinking because i know for myself my problem is i don't think and i say things and they hurt and the person who's hurt may go on for years feeling hurt and and that's also where repentance May have to keep going for a while, because there have been times when oh I repented of the sin years ago, but that sin kept hurting the people that I had hurt, and so even though oh I repented of it, and I need to keep repenting of it, because it still hurts. And so yes, no I have, before God I have repented of the sin. God has forgiven me that. But but yet, and verbal sins have a lot that can be this way they have the the tendency to be the gift that keeps on giving. And so as the the, the curse that keeps on giving, um, that that's where you may need to continue repenting and keep saying, I am so sorry for what I said 10 years ago because I realize now that what I said really hurt and I still mean it. I'm still sorry. (laughs) And that's where I remember... Years ago, I used to think that was crazy. I was like, "No, no. Once you've once you've repented, it's over." But as I've lived longer and seen the hurt that can continue, I've realized, no, that that sin from ten years ago has continued to have that effect. And so, the rev- the reviler, especially when the reviler realizes, "Oh my goodness, I have hurt people in this way," the reviler may have to. Repent over and over and over again to say, uh, I have. I, I won't go into all the stories. It's just flooded into my mind. But, but it's really important that you that don't be proud. Don't feel like sort of. If I admit that, then I'll. No, no. If you admit that, then you will find life and peace and righteousness down that path, because. As you, see, as you see your own sin, as you, see, as you see God's mercy and grace in Jesus to sinners, then you find that the way of repentance, the way of faith, the way of speaking truth and love bears fruit richly and abundantly in the lives of God's people. So let's pray. Oh Lord, have mercy on us because we have spoken foolishly we have reviled, we have used our words to hurt others. Lord, sometimes we, we didn't even mean it, but we said it, and our words cut. Forgive us and help us to, to listen well when people come to us and tell us how our words have hurt Help us, Lord, to repent. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe your promises that your word brings life, that your, your word brings peace and the one who seeks peace brings righteousness. So, Lord, help us to remember your promises, to walk humbly before you and to trust that you will continue all that you have begun in us in Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen.